so we've gotten a few reviews for Automation Show in the paper, Jason. They do reviews for radio shows? <laughs> yeah, back of the life section. How are the reviews? One's very positive, helpful, general, automation stuff. The other's a three-star from Gerald, though. Remember Gerald from the first show? The cribbage guy? Yeah, that cribbage guy. He left three stars and said, I've called the pharmacy three times and they still aren't picking up. Well, looking forward to doing the show again tonight. Should be a lot of fun. Yeah. The other day we were talking about document generation. Yep, how to generate a whole bunch of anything. How we've gotten from old-time email merge to the more modern cloud services we use now. Mm -hmm. We sort of glossed over something that I've had a lot of success with here and I know a lot of folks use. Okay. Remember when we talked about Google Doc templates? No. <laughs> I've never used them. Did we talk about them? Yes. Uh, Oops. I'm glad I brought it back up. Yeah. Okay. So they're pretty powerful. And you can extend them to things like Zapier and Make and Integramet. Uh, but whether you're a Google user or not, I think it's actually a compelling way to generate a whole bunch of stuff. Let's do it. Tell me more. Contracts, documents, invoices. Dog walking flyers. Dog walking flyers. We all find ourselves generating documents just a little more than we'd like. But what's Google's approach to doing this in an automated way? Templates. We're taking a look at Google templates, what they can do, how to use them, and whether Office 365 users should even give a hoot on this week's... Automation Town. All on this week's... Automation Town. All on this week's... Automation Town. All on this week's... Automation Town. 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 Okay, Chad, you're going to need to carry me here because I've never used Google templates i see on make support it looks like you can merge data into google docs which seems interesting i'm not quite sure the overlap here with services like formstack docs that we talked about before does it kind of do that or is it something else i think it's kind of that google's like a free platform right and if you want to just have a whole bunch of online docs and you've got a google account you've got it Formstack has cheaper plans, but it's not free. Oh my gosh, we did get into that at the end. Like if you're doing a lot of documents, that thing gets crazy spendy. What was it, like three to 600 bucks a month or something? Yeah, it was a lot. But valuable in the right circumstances. Sure, yeah, yeah. So I won't pretend to be a Google Docs expert, but I do use Google templates for a bunch of stuff. And only because I didn't have a Formstack account and a lot of the other document generation systems cost money. Or it just is a whole bunch of work to add a different tool into your stack. And if Google's already there and you're already using Gmail, why not try it? Yeah. Google has a few different ways to use templates. And depending on which plan you're on, whether it's like a personal free plan or a corporate account or some sort of enterprise account, you can have templates that are for you personally. You can have templates that are allowed to be used by anybody in the organization. And you can even like submit templates for other people to use. So think of templates as if you have data in any type of source database and you need it to get into a document or a slide or a spreadsheet or any other type of Google document, you can use a universal curly brackets, put it anywhere on the document and then call that document up inside of Zapier or Make or any other tool that's the sort of middleware automation tool and put that database information into the document and Bob's your uncle. You now have a document. I'm confused. Okay, so you just said docs and sheets and everything? I thought this was a docs thing. You could put it in anything? Anything. And that's the beauty of the Google platform. It's like curly brackets work in all of the different types of things. So just to be very specific, Google Slides, Google Sheets, Google Docs, 
Sure, you could use it in some form of Google Forms if you really needed to, but docs, sheets, and slides for sure. So you can templatize any of these different things. You can have templates for docs versus templates for sheets versus templates for slides. Is that right? The templates are type specific. Does that make sense? Yeah. Think about like you've been in a situation where I don't know, I'm guessing we've grown up with similar frustrations with like Microsoft Word and Google Docs, where you try to work with images a lot. And anytime there's text and images together, there is a big fist fight. <laughs> you, you all of a sudden become a PhD in alignment. Yeah. An overlay. <laughs> Send backwards. So this is one of these things where you're like your natural idea of using Google templates is to say, okay, maybe I can put an image on it and then I could put some curly brackets over top of it and play around with it. And you absolutely could, but you're going to be in wrestle mode for a really long time. There's a little trick too that um, you could use. Did you say wrestle mode? Let's move on, Stan. So if you had an image and you needed to put something on top of it, one of the tricks that I found somewhere online was that you can use Google Slides and make the image the background. And that image can be a PDF or an image or a PNG or a JPEG or something. And then you can use Google Slides, which is a lot more forgiving for moving text around. Oh my gosh. Are we going to use Google Slides to generate your stupid dog walking flyers? Is that where this is going to end? Yeah. <laughs> you could though, right? You do, I, that's like I would. the exact right size. <laughs> and that's the best part. Like you, you page set up to either like a background color or an image and you size it at a eight and a half by 11 or whatever you're cutting your, your flyers to or your certificates for your bridge kids gold star stuff yeah i remember we did an episode where like you press a button or something you generate a certificate i forget but uh like that could be it so that's one of the tricks we learned early on was anything to do with image overlay use slides interesting i know you're probably thinking this but how many forms have you gotten which are like kind of weird and you're like i can't really get rid of these fillable things and i'm having a hard time using it so like how do i make it fillable without using pdf.co or something like that. Are you about to tell me that you're filling PDFs with Google Slides? <laughs> if you had a lot of fields, <laughs> you totally could. It uh, feels really weird to say that, but you could. This episode has gone to a dark place. Or to... Wrestle mode. Or to a light place. <laughs> what are your thoughts on this? I mean, Google templates, have you ever used them at all? No, I haven't. I just poked around at the ways that you can integrate with them. And that's what got me interested. The idea that you can merge in anything that you want. I guess an interesting thing here that maybe isn't quite the same as the document generation episode we did before is the fact that you can do this across the entire Google suite, which I did not realize. So merging stuff in with a spreadsheet like you would Google Slides or something like that. I guess 10 minutes ago, I would have said, why would you ever merge data into... Google Slides, but that's kind of an interesting use case. I'll actually tell you another really cool use case for merging data into Google Slides. So I run an accounting firm. We do a lot of tax work and we deliver over a thousand tax returns every year. And we try to standardize what that delivery looks like. And one of the ways we've done that in the past is building these slide templates where we merge data from the tax return into that slide template to say like, hey, here's your tax due or here's your refund, like a summary of that return, but in a standardized format. Mm -hmm. Anytime we deliver a tax return, it comes with a video. And so that slide deck is a nice thing to back the video to say like, hey, here's, here's an overview of your tax return. Use a tool called Mosaic to do that, but this could do the exact same thing. So like in our case, 
We're delivering a whole bunch of instances of the same thing over and over again. We need a nice backdrop for the video. We actually even send them a copy of the slide deck. You could totally use merging into Google templates for that. 100%. I mean, we've talked before in other episodes of like Placid and Banner Bear to do images, mm -hmm. but this is more organized. And one of the cool things about using Zapier and Integromat is that you don't have to always end the automation with a Google slide. You can download the PDF of the Google slide. Yeah. You can download the images. Mm -hmm. There's just different ways of exporting these things so that you can use them in steps later on. You're onto something. Yeah. I think the more people play around with it, you'll start thinking of use cases, which is why I even threw out the idea of like, if you're having a hard time dealing with PDF generation, like me personally, if there was a 200 field PDF and I had to go through pdf.co or something else and try to do the XY coordinates on that, I just, yeah. no thanks. But if they were just curly brackets, and I can move them around and copy and paste them on a Google slide and just make that the backdrop. I think I'm more inclined to do that. Yeah. And in the case where you're generating, you know, let's say you're going to generate a hundred of these things as part of a process, you generate that new slide deck, probably get a copy of the URL, save that to your project management system or something like that. And as soon as it gets to that status, you've got that ready to go. Even maybe save a PDF copy of it to your file system. And for all those companies that use portals that are well used by all of their customers, plop it right in there for them to never look at. I'm not sure what you're implying, Davis. Okay, so that's interesting. This is bigger than documents. Let's bring it back to documents, though. Like, so your standard eight and a half by 11, you know, here's a contract or something like that. Mm -hmm. And the way that this works, are you generating, so just sp like talking about Google Docs specifically, each time you generate something, is that a brand new Google Doc inside of your Google Workspace? Yeah. Okay. So if I'm going to make 2,000 of something, this is going to be a real mess in Google Workspace. Wouldn't you want 2,000 documents at the end of it, though? I want 2,000 PDFs, but do I want 2,000 like Google Doc docs inside my Google Workspace? Yeah, if that's the case and you're only using them for placeholders, there's some really good actions inside of Zapier and Make to delete the file. Okay, so you spin one up temporarily, generate the PDF, and then you just kill it. Yeah, kill it. That makes sense. I do that in a bunch of automations when you just want to do something temporarily. On the document side, though, think about templates. There's like this notion of, oh, do I have to go through the rigmarole of setting up the template, putting it in the gallery, letting people use it? The answer is no. You can spin up any old Google Doc, create these curly brackets inside of the documents wherever you want, styled with the right headings and fonts and alignments and however you want it to look, and then just call that document inside of the automation. It doesn't have to go through this whole rigmarole of becoming a template makes it super accessible for anybody wanting to try it. Huh. Admittedly, I'm not a big Microsoft user, so I don't even have a Office 365 account that's used for anything work related. Does that exist here? Is there templates like this that could be thrown into an Office 365? Yeah. I'm not sure. Uh, to the internet. I know they have templates. What I don't know is if they have templates that will integrate with things like Zapier or make inside of make. There is a module called Microsoft Word Templates, and it says fill out a document or fill out a document with a bunch of data using aggregated information. So it looks like it's the, there's the same, but I think this is just another example of like, you don't have to know everything about everything. Just kind of dabble in certain things and you Microsoft person or Google person? Historically, yeah, I've been Office 365. But it sounds like you can get more or less to the same place with either one. I don't know. Honestly, every time I go down the rabbit hole of 
trying to automate stuff around Microsoft products, I just run into these just stupid headaches. <laughs> so honestly, I perpetually live in both places. Office 365 mainly just because my firm has a hundred years of organizational history on Office 365. But anytime I'm doing something for myself, it's on the Google side. Mm -hmm. So theoretically, I think you could do this with Office 365 as well. Uh, but as with automating Microsoft things, your mileage may vary. <laughs> okay, so in the Venn diagram of use cases, what are the situations where you use something like a form stack documents versus something like Google templates? Is it a volume usage maybe? It sounds like right now you don't even use form stack docs. You're just using templates, right? Yeah, I think it's just the fact that I don't have a form stack account. I think the power of form stack and that ecosystem is incredibly useful. So understanding what your use case is and then seeing what it looks like in sort of that quote unquote free Google templates area with a, a lot of room for error and maybe not a lot of expandability into something that you control across the whole organization versus that sort of controlled, thought out, expansive ways to use data inside of Formstack. There's probably a lot of use cases for both in different types of companies with different types of people and personalities when it comes to trying out new tech. That's a bad answer, but you could probably do well with both. What do you think? It's interesting. We talked about the background of Formstack documents and how it was, what it used to be, web merge. And real driving point behind the acquisition was we have this other solution, Formstack, which is just build your own web forms. And that was a very early web form tool before there was a whole bunch of those. And the idea of seamlessly pairing that with document generation without having to use third-party connectors and stuff like that, I think that was how form stack documents came to be what it is now. So if somebody wants a really simple, give me a web form, give me document generation, all connected without having to fuss with API connectors or anything else, that works very well. That's something that you could task just about anybody with setting up and you wouldn't have to fuss with Zap, you wouldn't have to fuss with Make. Mm -hmm. I do get the impression that if you have to generate really, really high volume stuff, mm -hmm. generate it via API and you need a whole ton of those documents, I don't know if you're going to run into any sort of usage limits with Google Workspace or not, but it does seem like that's what Formstack Documents is trying to handle is those really, really high volume use cases. But honestly, like if you're a small business owner like us, I don't know how often you're going to get beyond that threshold. I can tell you, I can think of five or 10 clients who definitely are though, who generate like need thousands of instances of this thing where you pretty much have to pull in an API solution like that. Otherwise, it's just an absurd amount of time for somebody. Mm -hmm. But I think where we've landed today is for most small business users, which is which is us, which is most of the people that listen to this, you can probably get by with Office 365 templates or Google templates, right? Yeah, I agree. I'm still just disgusted at the fact that you're generating things from Google Slides templates. That's just- Google a, Slides, baby. Oh my gosh. <laughs> It's like going backwards to go forwards or something like that. Okay, enough Google Slides. Quarter till, we got to head over to the Grum Center, uh, do some automation show. The Grum Center? What's that? The Wilford F. Grumley Center for Audio Arts. They're calling it the Grum Center. The Grum Grum. Hi, Hi Paul. Paul. Hey, guys. Okay, guys. New catchphrase idea. Oh, here we go. Unlocking your autotunities. Holy sh huh? Chad, I'm not sure we need something like this. I feel like it just flows better without Automation show. Unlocking your autotunities. It doesn't even make sense, okay. Chad. Oh, okay, okay guys. Okay, we're live in three, two. Welcome to 
Automation Show, unlocking your auto-tunity. Welcome in Automation Show. I'm your host, Jason Stats. And I'm Chad Davis. Yes, you are. We are coming to you tonight live from the Wilfred F. Grumley Center for Audio Arts. Grum, grum. Answering your questions about all things automation. The phone lines are open. And they are hot tonight, Jason. The phone lines are hot. What? Okay, got our first caller on the line here, Mark. Mark, you are live with Automation Show. Mark? Hello. You live, Mark. I think we lost Mark. Mark's gone. Okay. Uh, Jake, you are live on Automation Show. What's your question? Hi, guys. My name is Jake. Long-time listener, first-time caller. <laughs> So I'm really struggling to manage my calendar, and it seems like something that automation can help with. Absolutely. (laughs) Thanks, Jake. Thanks for the call, Jake. Wow. I don't know. Next caller. Um. (laughs) (laughs) How do you automate a calendar? Maybe we talk about like how stuff gets on your calendar, maybe time blocking. Maybe that's a helpful way to... Do you think Jake's calendar is online, Jason? What What does that mean? What do you (laughs) say? So let's assume his calendar is online. What do you want to talk about? Uh, putting things on the calendar, time blocking automatically, AI calendar automations. What do we got? I can tell you most of my calendar problems stem from letting things on there that shouldn't be on there or letting them on in a disorganized way. So given that most calendar problems are going to stem from you get to the day and you're like, what the hell happened to my calendar this day? How did I let this happen? The issue is probably how stuff gets in there. And so the easiest, I mean, the most obvious solution to that is like scheduling apps Mm -hmm. where you can put boundaries around what's the maximum number of events in a day or how closely can they be booked together? When are they even allowed to book? Am I even going to take this type of meeting from Monday to Friday? I think oftentimes it's a question of creating boundaries so that you don't get in over your head and then setting up a scheduling app to then enforce those boundaries. Yeah. I feel like the last like five years or eight years or something, this is kind of like that mainstream tech that exists now. It is. People are more aware of their calendar and how important it is. And aren't there even apps out there that will like look at where your calendar is and try to reorganize it? Have you ever seen any of those? Yeah. Like these AI time blocking apps where they will try to reorganize your calendar. Some that even integrate with your task management system and will like reorganize your calendar based on how your upcoming workflow looks i haven't used any of those myself they look interesting though i'm a little nervous on those ones it does seem hard to trust it and i don't what i don't know is how it moves events if other people are like have already been invited to it like that's kind of confusing to me yeah and you've like verbally confirmed it over email or something and then yeah well because that's what you do over email is verbal but you know thanks for calling jake thanks jake that's a good question (laughs) was it was it a good question it wasn't really a good question but thanks for calling All right, let's head back to the phones. Looks like we have Olivia. Olivia, you're live on Automation Show. How can we help? Hi, I'm Olivia, and I'm 10 years old, and I go to Automators Elementary. Whoa. Hey, Olivia. Hi, Olivia. Thanks for calling in. How can we help you? Every day at lunch, we play dodgeball. I love dodgeball. Highlight of my day in fourth and fifth grade. Love dodgeball. We started running tournaments every Thursday. Oh, fun. With an $80 buy-in. What the... Uh, Okay. And I'm using open source tournament ladder system to manage signups. I've got that one set up on a node server. 
and the whole part of it works pretty well. Uh-huh. But it doesn't handle collection or disbursement of funds or any sort of know your customer. Know your customer. I've uh- set up payment links with Stripe. It seems like the most developer-friendly payment API. But I just wanted to hear from the two of you. What has your experience been with Stripe, and do you recommend using it? Thanks, Olivia. Great questions. Wow. So Stripe was first and foremost a payment tool for developers. It kind of gets like more and more simple every year, and it's now something that's pretty accessible for non-developers like us. I'm not sure I can speak to Olivia's use case. I didn't really understand most of that. But Chad, is Stripe something that us non-developers ought to have in our toolkits these days, or is it, you think it's still out of reach? Is it still something we should just leave to the developers? Oh, that's a good one. I think the people at Stripe want it to be more mainstream. Yeah. See some of the stuff they're releasing the last couple months? It's all no code. It's all, but you, you dig into it, it's pretty Cody no code. I know. Flexible, but it could get pretty dicey if you get too deep. So I think you hit it. Stripe is moving in the direction of like more accessibility. And I don't know about you, but for the longest time, I didn't really touch it because mm-hmm. it was so developy, and I didn't have a lot of use cases where I needed to generate something using a no-code tool. What's your experience been with like the development side of it? So I use it and it's been like, there's definitely been some stumbling through it. The interface is like not really designed for normies, like your Stripe dashboard, like just how that all that stuff is set up is still very clear. It's set up for developers like it's not super approachable. I will say they've done some really cool things that you can get to that aren't too bad where there's not really a no code alternative to those things. So I think payment links is probably the best example. 100%. So the idea that you can generate a unique URL that you can send to any number of people and they hop in and it's got like the price in there and like all the ways you're willing to take payment and you can genuinely just like spin up a URL and do that for anything, set up a subscription, like that is very cool. And it's something that would otherwise require like an invoicing system that will take different types of payments. But even that is one by one. It's not like, here's a URL, 100 people can go to it and flood me with money. (laughs) So like this whole like payment links thing is pretty novel and I don't know another way to do that. And it sounds like this kid's got it figured out. Did I hear them say node server? Yeah, no, they're smarter than we are. <laughs> so, so they'll be able to create these. I like. I think there's been some updates to payment links recently too, where you can customize things. Before you had to kind of like create a new payment link for any type of variables. Now you can build with those. It's just along Stripe's mantra, right? Completely innovating and listening to customers, releasing new things. I think if I was in their shoes with this whole node server setup and disbursement of funds and managing signups, it's pretty easy to be able to generate those payment links and send them out along with whatever they're doing here. So completely support it. Yes, agreed. And they're, especially in their case, they know what they're doing. No concerns with Stripe at all. For a more basic user without that expertise, it's probably a little more on the edge. It is super easy to make money these days using Stripe payment links. Thanks for the call. Uh, back to the phones. We have got Stuart. You are live on Automation Show, Stuart. Hey guys, my name's Stuart. Welcome. I work over at the Radio Shack, actually. We bumped into each other over a few weeks back. I'm eh, not remembering that. You commented on my Johnny Five tattoo. You were looking for some batteries. That's not not ringing a bell, sorry. Are we both there? Yeah, I think Jason had lost his remote or something. Hmm. So what can we help you with? Well, I have this job at Radio Shack, and it's an all right job. 
my manager can be pretty frustrating sometimes and lately they've been making me do the night shift restocking shelves and whatnot great what's your question Stuart? so i'm gonna take some classes at the community college but i need to get better at budgeting i haven't always been great with money and i'm gonna be especially tight if i start taking classes so money yeah so have you ever built any automations around budgets i tend to get behind and spend money on things i shouldn't like sometimes i'll go to the store and get a bag of cheetos sometimes i get pringles okay thanks for calling stuart let's just i'm just like gonna pringle. okay thanks for calling stuart i think we've heard enough of that uh automating your money chad you're a finance money kind of guy you ever done something like this use apps to manage budgeting nope you <laughs> you're being serious you haven't but seriously i do not um oh my gosh never really played with all that stuff tell me your stories jason it's got to go deep. Well, the age-old problem in this space is always banking connections, like actually getting a reliable feed of what's all the stuff that's coming through your bank. Mm. I think the one I've used the most, it's called FinTable. It's like a plaid layer over the top of your Airtable, so you connect it via plaid. If plaid supports your bank, you can connect it that way, and then it'll pump all the transactions into an Airtable base where you can go wild with that data. That is the easiest way I know to get bank feeds into a system with like a good API connector support. I know Microsoft had like Microsoft money going for a while, but they just killed that. Money? Mint? But the whole problem here is how do I get my banking data into a system that will talk to other things? Because it's got to be in a connected system where I can then like put a number in a spreadsheet or something like that. And so that's how I've come to FinTable. I get that data in Airtable where I've got fantastic support with Zapier and Make. And then presumably I've got like a budgeting spreadsheet and I can put amounts or totals, mm -hmm. plop them into that budgeting sheet every so often. And that's probably your starting point, right? Yeah. You said presumably. Do you do this? For budgeting? Oh, gosh, no. <laughs> I don't budget. I'm like the worst personal financial advice person out there. I've never budgeted. I can't stand it. Maybe because it smells too much like my day job. Moving on. Me too. So did we answer that question? So find a way to get your banking data. Start there, right? Yeah. And if you're trying to just do it simply, try an off-the-shelf one. And if all you're really trying to do is save money for community college, you could probably use a budgeting app. But if you want to do some fun stuff with it and send it a bunch of places and let people know about certain transactions or play around with all that no Cody stuff, then FinTable seems like a good option. Get text notifications. Set up an RSS feed for everything <laughs> coming true. through your bank account. <laughs> oh, baby, now we're talking. Anything over a certain amount, send a fax. Send some faxes. And initiate the chat bot. Turn on the bathroom fan, change the color of the lights. <laughs> <laughs> and mail a picture of a bird. Okay. They're giving me the look. That is all the time we have today on Automation Show. Tune in next week to talk... Autotunities. Stop it. And how to unlock them. Yes, how to unlock automation opportunities. And that is episode two in the bag. Nice work, guys. Wow. I love that. Wow, Chad, you are fired up. Too excited. Great job, everyone. I'll be honest, I'm not sold on the tagline still. How about that kid? Right? That was real weird. Yeah, who was that? Who lets their kid call into automation show? Hmm. 
I need a shower. Yeah, Chatter, you okay? For goodness sakes. I'll get the towel. Automation Town is hosted by Chad Davis and Jason Stats and edited by Paul Omar. Share your problems with us on Twitter at Chad Davis. Is it just Chad Davis? Yeah. And J Stats CPA. How do you spell that? Stats S T A T S. It's a palindrome, but it has CPA at the end, so it's not a palindrome. Right. So we're following along J S T A A T S C P A. You did say it right. If you're enjoying the pod, please leave Automation Town a review by submitting a note in person at the Automation Town Civic Center or sending a fax to 555 908 84 